from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Every December, Time Magazine picks an individual, or sometimes it's a group of people, to be the person of the year. Time has named the individual or group with the greatest influence over the prior 12 months as person of the year. Presidents, queens, whistleblowers, and activists have all won the honor. But they're not always uplifting picks. Hitler, Stalin, and Nixon have all been named too. But their effect on the world often stretches far beyond that moment in time. That's certainly true for this year's choice. This year, Time picked a guy who equally inspires and infuriates. A culture-shifting CEO who brought the business of climate solutions into the zeitgeist in surprising and sometimes weird ways. From unprecedented levels of inequality to new frontiers of possibility, no one embodies the themes of this year more than 2021 Time Person of the Year, Elon Musk. Yes, Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, the guy who made electric cars cool, who proved rocket engineers wrong, the richest man in the world, and of course, Twitter shit poster extraordinaire. As expected, Musk as Person of the Year is getting a lot of attention, both positive and critical. And it raises some important questions for this show about Tesla specifically. Look, it's the most valuable car company in the world, but has Musk made it the most valuable climate company? Tesla single-handedly pushed the auto industry to take electric cars more seriously. There's no doubt about that. Musk made people drool over solar shingles and batteries mounted in garages. But then there are moments like the one at a Wall Street Journal CEO summit earlier this month. Musk was there on screen, and he was asked whether Congress should pass Joe Biden's climate package. That package would provide historic backing to the electric vehicle market. And seemingly, that's something that Musk would support. I would say, honestly, I would just can this whole bill. Don't pass it. That's my recommendation. What it- what about what about the the support though for the charging network? I mean, there are there are parts of this bill. And, and, no. No, I mean, you know, do, do we need support for gas stations? Uh, we don't. So uh, there's no there's no need for this uh, for, for support for a charging network. I would delete it. Delete. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm literally, I'm literally saying get rid of all subsidies. Now, this is a guy who says climate change is one of the biggest threats facing society, who's trying to colonize Mars as a backup plan for if or when we totally screw up this planet. And to support his ventures, he's taken well over $5 billion in government funding, including hundreds of millions of dollars every quarter from credits created by states to support electric cars. So uh, Tesla recently logged one of its first profitable quarters in which it wasn't reliant on zero energy vehicle emission credits to make its numbers. So it appears that Musk is sort of pulling up the ladder behind him after he's benefited from government largesse in the forms of certainly loans and credits. This is the duality of Elon Musk and Tesla. Musk says he wants to create companies that help humanity, but he doesn't bring much humanity to the table himself. He burns through staff, he mocks people publicly, and he makes impulsive decisions that can send Tesla teams scrambling at a moment's notice. Still, he is the person who put electric cars on the map, and he could probably do it for almost any clean technology if he wanted. The inspiration that he's provided to populace and industry is is immeasurable. I've spoken to some venture capital investors of his, and they insist that he is a, a generational personality and a man of destiny who can bend 
gravity at his will. And that, that is the way he's thought of in the investor community. On the other hand, you could also find lists of his lies, just unforced errors on his part of where he needlessly fabricates and there's no need to do it. He has choices a lot of times and he often makes the less measured decision. Musk became the wealthiest person in the world partly because he sold his mission to make climate-positive technologies a reality, even when incumbents and skeptical investors never thought it could happen. In order to make a, a company that is bending gravity, that is taking on the existing fossil fuel industry and the existing automotive industry, it requires a man of destiny. And that's despite all of the personal issues. He has always used to his mission. And here we are today with a, a company with a market capitalization of $1 trillion. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. The Tesla brand has become one of the most valuable in the world. But Tesla's history is filled with failed or missing products, even outright lies. This week, a brief history of Tesla. Has it lived up to Musk's original vision of building a sustainable energy company to vanquish fossil fuels? Faced with the surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a Frontier Forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. Who are you, by the way? Oh, maybe I should introduce myself. Um, my name is Eric Wessoff. I'm the editorial director at Canary Media. I've been reporting on Tesla since... 2006 or 2007, which is a few years after Tesla's founding. I've covered this company from its early days as a private firm. I've visited many of the factories. I've had a, a number of factory tours. I've had a couple of conversations with Elon back in the early days, that in the post-hair plug, pre-ketamine days. And I've gone through, just like a relationship, I've gone through my own phases where it started off being enamored and then not being as emotionally involved and able to see this company for what it is. So what do you have there in front of you? A bunch of index cards? Index cards, you know, um, I once, uh, I was on the uh, downhill end of a relationship and I once found a list in a girlfriend's pocket as I was doing the laundry and it was a list of pros and cons, goods and bads of staying with Eric Wessoff on a long-term basis. And uh, I have that list for um, Elon Musk and Tesla about, you know, a list of good things and, and bad things. And you and I were speaking earlier about the duality of Tesla, about the duality of Elon Musk. And I think that's something we really need to touch on as Time's person of the year. First, let's get to the good things. Tesla has succeeded in spite of some pretty ridiculous odds. A lot of people know Tesla today as a trillion-dollar car company that ushered in the electric vehicle renaissance. But it was designed to be much more than that. Back in 2006, when Musk was Tesla's lead investor and board chairman, he penned a vision for the company beyond just EVs. Although we think of Tesla primarily as a car company, when Elon was hatching the idea, it was a car company, but it was also a 
renewable energy and, and sustainable car company. And in order to be a sustainable car company, it had to have other legs of that stool, including a, a solar practice and an energy storage practice. The original founders of Tesla were focused on making a desirable electric car at a time when no one cared about electric cars. And that was a pretty big feat on its own. But Elon had a vision for a much broader strategy, and he took over as CEO in 2008 to pursue it. This was also the year that Tesla rolled out the first generation Roadster, and the very first one arrived on Elon's doorstep just a month after taking the reins of the company. Elon Musk has a knack for capturing public imagination. And I think in terms of early adopters, EV devotees, battery devotees, sports car devotees, and Silicon Valley elite, he, he had made EVs and batteries for that matter, a coveted fetish item. This is a tiny percentage of human beings, but certainly the buzz was going um, amongst the, the, the early adopters that buzz was quickly overpowered by chaos. Now, this was the fall of 2008, the height of the financial crisis. Musk had sunk all his money into the company, production failures were mounting, and it was nearly impossible to get external investment. He talked about that moment on 60 Minutes in 2014. Uh, that, was, that was definitely at the worst year of my life. That terrible year was captured in a documentary called Revenge of the Electric Car. His plant was filled with flawed cars that couldn't be delivered. Holy mackerel, Jesus. To save Tesla, Musk needed millions more from investors. His fortune was gone. When we'd call people and say, hey, would you like to invest? They'd be angry that we just called. <laughs> it's like, not, it's not only no, no and no and, you know, various expletives. Tesla's facing a dire financial situation, and Elon has pumped as much of his own money as he can into the company, and he's been forced to fire, lay off a, a number of people at the company in, in response to this. He was going around hat in hand on, on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley looking for venture capital investors, and this was probably its low point, trying to raise the funding to keep its growth going. I remember waking up the Sunday uh, before Christmas uh, on, in 2008 and thinking to myself, man, I never thought I was someone who could ever uh, be capable of a nervous breakdown. Um, and, but I, I felt this was the closest I've ever come because um, it, it seemed pretty, pretty dark. And then the German automaker Daimler came in with a $50 million investment. Tesla continued, but it hobbled along for a couple of years until getting another life-saving investment, this one from the government. So Tesla has a near-death experience and manages to scrape together enough venture capital to keep it going. But soon after that, it was able to garner a, a $465 million DOE loan guarantee as part of an auto program, which gave it the ability to build out its production for its first real production model, the, the Model S. Without that diving save of getting that venture capital and without the half a billion dollars in loan guarantee, it's quite likely that the Tesla of today would, would not exist. But that was not the only near-death experience for Tesla, was it? No. So in their life as a public company in, and their effort to scale up from tens of thousands of cars to hundreds of thousands of cars per quarter, Tesla went through what Musk described as manufacturing hell, where he 
claimed to be sleeping under his desk and turning screws on the assembly line along with the rest of the workers. And in these years after they were after they went public, they had some lean years and they were also not producing numbers that put them on the the map as a, a real car company. But after those lean years, Musk and company have gotten to the point where they're building hundreds of thousands a quarter. Recent, these days, it's 200,000s per quarter. These are not Toyota numbers, but they are a high-end luxury car company for sure. They sell a lot more than Ferrari. And this was a pivotal moment in the company's history because of how it changed the public perception of Tesla from this boutique car manufacturer into a company that could potentially handle global logistics like the other traditional car makers. Again, not at the volumes of large global automakers, but at large enough volumes that showed the company was capable of being a real car company. Absolutely. And a a case in point is how many new American car companies have there been in the last hundred years other than Tesla that have survived without going bankrupt in the first five to 10 years of their life? There's singularity in that regard. So you might have doubted that they were a real car company in 2016. They, They most certainly are today. The fact that Tesla is where it is today is pretty remarkable. Over the last decade and a half, thousands of companies with bold visions to reinvent energy or transportation have failed, some spectacularly. Tesla hung on in spite of a financial crisis, a weak market for EVs, and a lot of skepticism from investors. And today, as a public company, it has a valuation higher than Toyota, Volkswagen, Ford, and General Motors combined. Which brings us back to the question, Tesla may be successful so far as a car company, But what about as a clean energy company and EVs, batteries, and solar together, like Musk originally envisioned? Today's company is made up of those three legs. However, the automotive leg is 95% of the company, and the energy storage and the solar are only 5% of the company. So his initial vision, Tesla is an EV company with a hobbyist business in solar and, and energy storage. The vehicle side has been spotty too. Tesla's been talking for years about new semi-trucks, a pickup truck, and a more affordable car for the masses. But so far we've got nothing but stage shows, picture galleries, and blown deadlines. Where are the new models? Every other car manufacturer has 20 vehicles lined up across different sectors, and all we have from Tesla is talk. I think things are gonna be evened up in a couple of years. After the break, a more cynical take on Tesla. Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates. Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, GridX CCO Scott Ingstrom, and economist Ahmad Faruqi for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. Tesla is Elon Musk. The company's fortunes, or sometimes misfortunes, are wrapped up in Musk's exhibitionism. Would Tesla be the company it is today with a boring CEO? Probably not. 
But Tesla's trillion-dollar valuation masks the many missteps at the company, including lots of misleading claims about new products. There's a moment in the fall of 2019 when Musk unveiled the Cybertruck in Los Angeles, and he asks his lead designer to throw a metal ball at the unbreakable window of the truck. Franz, could you try to break this glass, please? Yeah. Sure? Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Well, maybe that was a little too hard. <laughs> Should we try it? Sorry? Okay. The ball smashes the glass. You can hear people in the crowd gasp. Musk is clearly shocked. They try it again. The same thing happens. It didn't go through. Let's so that's a, that's a plus side. Let's try the right. Okay. Try that one, really? Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, man. It didn't go through. <laughs> now you could chalk this up to the dangers of doing a live stage show, but this is a pattern for Musk. The product wasn't ready, but he unveiled the product as if it were ready until that ball shattered the glass. The Cybertruck was supposed to start production in 2021. It's been delayed to 2022, and now Musk says it could be 2023 before higher volumes begin. This is not a one-off example. This is how Musk releases products. He makes a big public splash, promises a date, takes pre-orders, and then goes silent. And this strategy has also put other pieces of his master plan at risk. Take solar. In 2016, Musk told investors he had a plan to buy up Solar City, which at that time was the biggest residential solar installer in the country. Musk had family and boardroom ties to the company, and Solar City was in financial trouble. But in order to grow as fast as they wanted, they had to borrow an enormous amount of money. And if Tesla had not purchased Solar City for $2.6 billion plus the assumption of a couple of billion dollars worth of debt, Solar City would for sure have gone bankrupt within a couple of months. It's at that point that Elon stepped in. He was a board member of Solar City and a cousin of the CEO and CTO of Solar City. And against public sentiment against shareholder sentiment and against the sentiment of as a board, he went through with the acquisition. And I remember when this happened, Tesla released this long post about the synergies between the company and how this fed into the long-term vision of Tesla's solar business. But that's not exactly how it played out, did it? No. Um, and in fact, the growth trajectory of Solar City that Elon acquired and inherited was trashed over the coming quarters. Musk always wanted solar to be part of the Tesla plan, but instead of focusing on how to make the solar business better or more efficient, he slashed it down, and then he turned his obsession to a solar roof product. His optimism about solar roofs was on full display during a Solar City earnings call from 2016. And on the call, the Solar City team is discussing vague plans for a new product. And then Musk jumps in from the background with a surprise announcement. And we're going to be making um, a pretty interesting product, and I'm excited to kind of reveal it to you all at some point. But it, it is not just your, your typical module. It's, it is both uh, pretty efficient, and it looks really, really good. It's, it's, it's a solar roof as opposed to a module on a roof. It's a subtle moment, kind of boring, but behind the scenes, it was a big deal. As reporting later revealed, Musk was telling investors about a solar roof product that was not ready not ready at all. 
and I'd just like to, to emphasize, I think this is really a, a fundamental part of achieving differentiated product strategy, where you have a, a, a sign with beautiful roof that, that is a solar roof. It's not, it's not a thing on a roof, it is the roof. Eric was skeptical. Well, if you're skeptical about everything, you're eventually going to be right about some things. A couple of months later, the solar roof was unveiled. They actually unveiled it on a TV set where they filmed Desperate Housewives. Musk stood on a stage with all these fake houses around him in front of a chart of rising CO2 levels. And then the video turns to the roofs of the houses surrounding him. So we're going to show you, this is the before shot of that house over there. So that's what it looked like before. Now that's all solar. The camera shows close-up shots of a gleaming roof with shingles that are supposedly solar. And if you look, if you look carefully, you can actually see the, the solar cells behind the glass. There was just one minor detail. The solar roof was about as real as the television set. Well, not only was it not energized, but it did not exist. Um, it existed only in, in Elon's mind. And over the course of the next couple of years, despite ridiculous promises about r spooling up to 1,000 roofs per week, I would say that he's barely installed a thousand roofs with the product. And it went through four different revisions over the course of the first few years. It's still going through revisions. And I did some shoe leather reporting and spent a lot of time in front of installations in the San Francisco Bay Area of wealthy homeowners putting these, these tiles on their roofs. Beautiful product, outrageously expensive, installation costs through the roof, Every job is a custom job, and there's no way that this is ever going to be profitable except for super, super, super high-end applications. So again, it's the duality of Tesla. Beautiful product, doesn't exist. Promises made over the course of years and just undelivered. Tesla's solar production factory in Buffalo, New York, sat mostly idle for years. A factory, by the way, that Tesla got nearly a billion dollars from the New York government to build. Five years later, Elon has finally admitted that the solar roofs are too costly. Customers have publicly called out the company, saying Tesla keeps raising the price. And this is the thing that bugs Eric about Tesla and Elon Musk. It's not just solar roofs. There is a, a list of lies that Musk has told, and at a certain point, as a journalist, if he says that he's going to have a million robo-taxis by 2020 and there's zero robo-taxis currently, that is troubling. Uh, a CEO is supposed to, forgive my naivete, uh, is supposed to be telling the truth about, about their company. And there's so many instances of Musk obfuscating. The semi-truck has been announced for 1,489 days. He's been taking deposits for 1,489 days, and there's no product. He has promised a 1,000-kilometer range by 2018. Nothing has happened in those regards. He has promised battery swaps. So at a certain point, I was just, I think I became fatigued with being lied to as, as a reporter. How can I report on a company that the CEO can't be trusted to be telling the truth during an a earnings call? Musk has a reputation for saying things that put people off. Sometimes it's launching a fake product, sometimes it's calling someone a pedophile on Twitter, or sometimes it's just being a hypocrite, like when he decried government investment in climate solutions, when his whole business up until now has depended on it. Without the investment tax credit for energy storage products and without the investment tax credit for solar, solar products, solar cannot exist without subsidies. The Tesla roof cannot exist without subsidies. So, again, case in point, here's your evidence. 
every good decision is balanced by a questionable decision or comment. By the way, while we're on the person of the year thing, I, I have a quote from a colleague uh, who I know from the automotive world, E.W. Niedermeyer. And I, I must read this. Time Magazine got this one right. We live in depraved, acquisitive, intellectually bankrupt times, and nobody embodies our wretched zeitgeist quite like this bloated sociopath. Literally the hero we deserve. I mean, that's the kind of visceral reaction that Elon evokes in people. Musk's style, distort reality, mock people on Twitter, memify everything, it turns a lot of people off. But it attracts a lot of other people who may not otherwise be interested in climate or sustainability. He's not some liberal pushing electric cars or solar. He transcends the cultural and political boundaries that exist around those technologies. I guess um, watch what he does and not what he says. And what he does is, is borne out by the financials every quarter. And they are building a lot of cars and their margins are going up. Their build quality is going up. Toyota is launching 16 EVs in the coming years. That would never have happened without Tesla. And I think that's applicable to Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and, and the rest of the automakers. And so I can watch that and, and, and see a company forming and coalescing and becoming a, a competitive world force. At the same time, while he's saying ridiculous things every day or tweeting ridiculous things, I guess you have to view that as noise and just part of the clown show that he needs to keep his stock price buoyant. That P.T. Barnum style is the product, isn't it? I mean, that's what people are buying into. Well, they, they like this company to the tune of a trillion dollars, but the company only sells $40 billion worth of cars per year. So the stock is the trillion dollar product. Musk in the time magazine interview admitted quite clearly that the value of the company is not based on anything historical. It's purely based on what it might be able to do. So Eric, we walked through a pretty detailed history of Tesla and its mission and what it accomplished and what it did not accomplish. And Musk has had an outsized impact on how people perceive clean technologies is this the climate company that we need today? We are in the biggest fight of humanity's life, and perhaps little niceties like corporate governance and veracity pale in comparison to actually getting things done. And Tesla is getting stuff done. They are forcing the curve on EVs. They're forcing the price structure of batteries, it's hard not to see them as one of the greatest forces of the last decade in catalyzing the energy transition. For all of the lying and prevaricating and questionable business practices, this company has changed the way Americans look at electric vehicles and renewable energy. Wow, did we just get you to change your opinion over the course of this episode? I think that happened. <laughs> Eric Wessoff is the editorial director at Canary Media. It, it was some crea creative writing I did of a, a, a fictional Model S test drive where I 
kidnapped Elon and put him in the frunk. Uh, you can read it on Green Tech Media. It's much more serious now. I would I would never write an article like that. Uh, uh, I'm a much more <laughs> serious person, and hopefully Elon is as well. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Thanks so much to Canary Media for their partnership, and a huge thanks to our producers. Our lead producer on this show is Jamie Kaiser, and our other producers are Dalvin Abawaje and Daniel Waldorf. Sean Marquand mixed the episode and composed our theme. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions. If you want to find more episodes, go to canarymedia.com or search for us on any podcast app. And you know what to do if you like this show. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Spotify just rolled out a rating system, so help us out there as well. Of course, we've been telling you about this companion podcast of ours called Catalyst with Shail Khan. It is with our friend and investor, Shail Khan, who dives deep every week into the forces decarbonizing our economy. Don't miss out on those conversations. Find it at canarymedia.com or any podcast app. We will catch you next year. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Carbon Copy. 